Many thanks to our friends at Squarespace for their support in making this show happen, the Cracked Podcast, and they want to support you in setting a website up. You, uh, I'm sure you're doing something exciting or interesting or even just want to represent yourself in a, a basic internet way. Squarespace is the best service and platform to set up your new website with. They make it easy to design your website, get it online, and keep it running smooth. So head to squarespace.com cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ, and I am also, also amazed that I get to talk to Andy Daly. He is our guest today, Andy Daly. If you like comedy podcasting, I think you know who he is. You know him from podcasts like Comedy Bang Bang or his own Andy Daly Podcast Pilot Project and appearances and characters on many more. Also, if you like comedy outside of podcasting, you know, just in general, uh, you definitely know who Andy Daly is from his amazing work as Forrest McNeil on Review, you know, like Pancakes Divorce Pancakes alone. Incredible. You also know him from key roles on everything from Eastbound and Down to The Office to... Veep, Blackish, Modern Family, Silicon Valley, Adventure Time, American Dad, and more I am skipping because I need to breathe. Ah, there we go. Uh, he's, he's the greatest, and, uh, and he's also the spark to our episode today because the topic is amazing historical artifacts that somehow still exist. One more time, that is amazing historical artifacts that somehow still exist. We are digging into things modern people can see, hear, touch, and visit that should not be possible to see, hear, touch, and visit. They certainly shouldn't be possible to eat, and yet that's going to happen a lot. Because one way being alive is more interesting than people think it is, is that history leaves tangible artifacts that just kind of stick around far beyond what you would think. You will also get to hear audio of some of those artifacts today, because the auditory ones are things we can play for you. So there's a lot of multimedia to this one. And I've wanted to get into these for a long while, and I've been kind of looking for the right guest to do it with. And Andy is doing an exciting new podcast that I think is a perfect conceptual fit. Uh, the show is The Great American Cabinet of Curiosities. You can hear it on Stitcher Premium, and you'll hear what that is and what it's got to do with these amazing old things in the episode. And I think that's plenty of setup, so please sit back or get up and go out and tell your friends that the one and only August Lint from The Travel Bug is on The Cracked Pod this week. Very exciting. Either way, here's this episode of The Cracked Podcast with Andy Daly. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. I was curious what led you into wanting to use the, the Cabinet of Curiosities as a comedy conceit and as a thing. Yes, well, it was uh, Sean Conroy came to me one day and he said that he he was trying to come up with some idea to make use of all of the things that he has hung on to over the years. I guess his home is full of memorabilia and conversation pieces, and and the one that really inspired him the most was um, 
Sean's grandfather was briefly the governor of New York. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. When Rockefeller uh, resigned to become Nixon's vice president. Oh, man. Sean Conroy's <laughs> okay. grandfather, Governor Wilson, uh, was the lieutenant governor of New York, who then became governor of New York and then lost in you know, his first opportunity to be elected. He was not. Oh. But during that time, he went to the New York State Fair and uh, met O.J. Simpson. <laughs> and Sean met O.J. Simpson. I, You're just making stuff up. No, now. I know. This it is, all sounds uh, crazy. Like a word salad of. <laughs> but anyway, I will tell you the happened. whole. Yeah, <laughs> I will tell you the whole story because it is included in the in the, uh, the second episode of the Great American Cabinet of Curiosities. But basically, Sean Conroy has an, a photo with his grandfather and O.J. Simpson that is autographed by O.J. Simpson that sits on his mantelpiece <laughs> and is one of the many things in his home that he has stories about. He has long stories about, and so he had this idea that he's he's thinking everybody must have that thing that they've hung on to since childhood or yeah. from wherever they they can talk entertainingly about for eight or 10 minutes. And so we have just invited the funniest people in Los Angeles to come down and bring that item and tell us about it. And we've had wonderful submissions. Moon Zappa brought her uh, her hair dryer, which I was <laughs> she was like, I didn't know what to bring. But then she explained she's had this hair dryer, this Conair Yellow Bird hair dryer that feels it weighs like eight pounds. Oh. And she's had it since like the early 80s, and it has helped her to get ready for every date, every event, every, like everything. It has wow. been a part of every every moment of her life where she felt like she had to look any particular way. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so stuff like that. Matt Besser brought a pipe that was part of his father's folk art collection that he, when he became yeah. a pot smoker, he desperately wanted to smoke pot out of this like several hundreds year old <laughs> yeah, uh, Native American pipe. And then and then he did, and then he got busted. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Was, that was uh, Sean's idea. And so we crafted the whole rest of the show around it. I came up with a character who is an aristocrat. He, he is from a royal bloodline who has some connection to the cabinets of curiosity of Europe and is believes himself to be an arbiter of what is and is not a curiosity. And so it's it's a bit of a contest, the show. Yeah. Yeah. Because also it's this original historical cabinet of curiosities. The past couple hundred years, especially very rich people like your character would would just collect stuff and they yeah. would just show it to people later. I yeah. guess they didn't have an Instagram. So they did this instead. Right. They were like, I'm gonna have a bunch of things. I guess it started in the fifteenth century that that like nobles and aristocrats would go on travels and bring back odd artifacts, but also people People would go on travels on their behalf, you know, and bring them back weird things. And a very Man. common thing for these cabinets was narwhal horns, which would be found like on a beach, and they and they would assume that this was a unicorn horn. And so things like that would be on display in a room of a castle, there, and it's just like weird, weird stuff. Yeah, just gathering it to show a couple people at a time. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Because we have this this museum system now where everything's for the public. But these guys were just like, ah, I just I just have part of a king's brain. Do you want to see it? And <laughs> right. then their friends would come and look at it. And part of it. a king's brain. Exactly. <laughs> because a lot of people wanted parts of it. You couldn't, you know, you weren't going to get the whole king's brain. <laughs> yeah. And then we're looking today, inspired a bit by that, at these artifacts that are just around in the world <laughs> that, that yes. people can see and experience and enjoy. Amazing things. Yeah. Yes. Amazing, bizarre artifacts. I enjoyed reading about them very much. And a few of them are, are audio. So we'll, we'll hear them on the show uh, today. You, uh, you, the listener, get to hear some crazy old stuff. Wow. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, since it's a comedy podcast and everything, uh, why don't we do oh. the old comedy records? 
because these are this is a thing where Thomas Edison was the the forerunner of like inventing everything and making money off everything. So he did like the first comedy records on wax cylinders in the late 1800s. <laughs> so these are wax cylinders and he's invented this technology and a device to play them and yeah. is trying to figure out what should I capture on a wax cylinder and probably comedy routines was not the first thought, I'm guessing. He yeah. probably started with an opera singer. I'm sure it was beautiful art and of the musical kind first, because uh, also these cylinders could only hold about two minutes of stuff. And they would also sell for 50 cents, which today is around $15. So you wow. were spending 15 bucks on two minutes. For two of, minutes of content. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Podcasting's better, <laughs> yeah. I say. And so, so these were going out there and... He, like you said, probably started with beautiful music. That's yeah, the way to go. it was a while before he went, why don't we put jokes on there? Yeah, and folks, you're about to hear, uh, this is an 1899 joke on a comedy <laughs> record that uh, the National Park Service held on to it, and you can just hear it. But So this is a quick back and forth set up punchline joke from 1899. Devin, go ahead and hit it. Say, Sammy, can you tell me how to make a lean baby fat? I know, Billy. How would you make a lean baby fat? Drop him out of a third-story window, and he'll come down plump. <laughs> All right, so if you're, if you're listening at home, a Andy just made a pretty <laughs> horrified face. That is demented. Uh, and he's correct, too. Uh, wow, yeah. I don't get that at all. I'm, I, don't, I don't have any problem with throwing babies out the window. I just don't get the joke. <laughs> I think it's the, and obviously the audio quality is not perfect because it's from 1899, but I think the, the punchline was that uh, you can make a lean baby fat because when it lands after you drop it out a high place, it goes plump on the ground. What? And then plumpness as a word means fat. Oh, right? they're, they're guessing that the sound that the baby makes when he hits the sidewalk right, is right. going to sound like plump. Right. Wow. And then that, that like onomatopoeia is like the word plump, which means fat. <sighs> and so if you can... So... so Listeners, if you want to take that wordplay journey, uh, that's that's what the joke means. What does uh, it mean that that <laughs> joke was immortalized on a wax cylinder? It either means right. that <laughs> that jokes were so bad at that time that this was one of the best ones available to be immortalized, yeah. or that Thomas Edison just had just had a horrible sense of humor. Like there might have been much better <laughs> jokes out there to commit to wax. Oh, I all, all of those questions. Yeah, because yeah. like, Edison, all the stories about him are being kind of an, uh, about him being kind of an intense and, and cruel guy, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. And so maybe that's his humor, or maybe comedy was not great then. Like, you're only hearing jokes from people you know and books. There's not all this mass media of comedians around yet. I guess that's right. So well, maybe yeah, he electrified an elephant, didn't he? Didn't he famously electrify an elephant to prove it's that like, Tesla's technology was dangerous it's like that's like kind of an urban legend oh, okay. uh, but i believe they made money off of footage of it happening <laughs> oh, okay uh, so so actually great if you think about it uh, i'm not um, a monster i i didn't electrify the elephant i just made a fortune selling the, the film footage of it happening edison's thing especially around the turn of the century was we've just invented audio and and also a lot of video that can be a thing you sell and so let's mm. sell incredibly brief clips of stuff and, right uh, so they did that with elephants but also they had these these comedy records where you know there's no way to know exactly what the first recorded joke was but this is one of the first things people were like get all the gear out we gotta tape it like we wow. gotta we gotta lay it down 
And there's an audience there whistling and applauding. They applaud the joke. What's yeah. interesting is that the it seems like the only people actually laughing are the the two performers. The audience <laughs> is applauding. It's the first example of clapter. <laughs> it's so far back. Like I feel like comedy advances so fast and develops yeah. so fast that once you go even a few decades back, it's kind of kind of an alien planet. Yeah, I guess that's like true. I, I remember hearing that um, there's that Woody Allen stand-up album mm. where he's performing for like Greenwich Village crowds in the '60s. Oh yeah, and their their reactions feel strange to me. Like oh. he'll, he'll do like one thing where the punchline is the Warren Report, and like everybody goes crazy. Really, <laughs> in a way that feels very strange to me, even yeah. knowing that that's the report on JFK's assassination. Yeah, like it's weird. Yeah, if you ever try to listen to a Lenny Bruce album, it's it's just bewildering because he throws yeah. in lots of. I guess they're pop culture references at the time. And I feel like I know some things about pop culture of the 60s, but I have no idea what he's talking about at all. And so 1899, pretty tough, uh, pretty weird. And we do we do have one other uh, much fresher recording from 1904. Oh, much. Um, yeah, there you go. This so, will make perfect sense. Yeah, uh, everyone will get it. This is from a much longer recording where the whole thing's a two-minute sketch of two characters in a car. Uh, hmm. So that's all you need to know. Let's hear 1904. Hmm. Hey, yeah, ain't you going faster than the limit? No, you hold your breath and I'll show you my limit. Yeah, look out for that chicken. Killed him, by gosh. That was the fall. Say, that old constable Skinner and his better dog. Better, eh? Well, he'll lay flat after I hit him. Why, no, it's an answer. How can anybody commit a murder after an automobile history? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it's just it's just the passenger reacting to the driver running a bunch of stuff over. And they do like bits about it. Wow. <laughs> That's it. Humor was very, very dark at the turn of the century. Yeah. The turn of the last century. That is dark. I mean Yeah, it's really messed up. But uh, that, that one functions for me better as a joke. Like, okay. this guy is killing lots of people, mm -hmm. and the other guy says to him, this is murder, and he goes, no, it prevents murder. How can you kill somebody after I've run over you with a car? That's yeah. that, that works. Yeah, yeah. That works as a joke. That It, it fits together. Yeah. yeah. It is weird that, like, some of the math is still the same, you know what I mean? Like, after all these years, oh, yeah. like, the structural elements are... The construction of the joke functions <laughs> just fine. Yeah. And this... But uh, 1904, this must have been a very early car, so this was probably, like, this was a hot topic, how unsafe cars were. It's like, oh, the kids are all in their phones, and uh -huh. they get run over because they're looking at their phone too much. But for 115 years ago, yeah. They had a good sound effect in there, too, of the car, sort of, you know. Yeah. Is, I'm impressed with this album. This was a good one. The chicken was like a little ear splitting. Good. Uh -huh, right? uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. He was hard to understand, the first guy, the old timer. Yeah, so also he had some kind of accent, and uh -huh. I've, I've listened to the whole record, which is like two minutes, a mm. couple times, and I don't know why he has an accent. I think mm. they just found it fun that he had an accent. Oh, sure. It. But yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, you don't need a reason to have an accent. <laughs> yeah. And they were putting these out and selling them, and, and it's a weird thing where we can hear comedy from a time that before I read about this, I don't think I knew that we even really had recordings of at all. Yeah. Know? I, I wouldn't have guessed that people were uh, were making jokes in 1904. There was too much work to do. <laughs> you gotta get out. I mean, you gotta milk the cows, and you gotta, right. you know, 
I imagine them all either farming or just operating some big lever in a factory. (laughs) I don't know what the lever does, but... You have to go down to the river to wash your shirt. No time to make jokes. And then there's also a few things here, and this is from an article called Six Artifacts That Let You Directly Experience the Past by Justin Crockett and Ivan Farkas. There's a couple situations where... There are uh, food and other things from the past that are just preserved, and we just have them. And one of them is there was a steamboat that sank in 1856. That's not a food. <laughs> just just to make it clear for our listeners, please don't try to eat okay, a steamboat. Okay, cut this out, cut this yeah, out. Cut oh, man. Oh, no. <laughs> so we, uh, uh, the steamboat, it was a steamboat called the Arabia, and it sank in 1856 on the Missouri River. They were shipping things to farmers up the river, and then the wreckage was kind of swept away, and then the river diverted, and long story short, the wreckage ended up just buried underground in a completely like oxygen-free environment. Oh. Uh, so nothing decays, and nothing spoils, and-, and The whole boat? Yeah, the whole thing. Wow. Yeah, and so now there's an entire museum in Kansas City of just everything that they pulled out of this wreck. Wow. Uh, and a lot of it is uh, like preserved edible food. Uh, so if you want to eat stuff from right before the civil war you can do it you can do it set it up what kinds of food stuffs did they find in there the uh the main one is pickles uh, because the pickles were jarred and so they were digging it up and they were like oh we're curious whether someone could eat this or not and then one of the people just uh, ate one really (laughs) and just went for it what happened uh they were fine really yeah they came out fine yeah because i am i am the guy (laughs) in my house who is constantly saying like this is a month past the expiration date gone and my my wife is always like you know (laughs) yeah you you can blow past the expiration date by a bunch and it drives you crazy right yeah it makes me nuts i love i just love to get rid of anything i'm I'm (laughs) delighted to get rid of anything that's in our house so i just the day that the expiration date passes i go we can throw it out nobody wanted it in a year and a half but so the anyway this weakens my argument by a lot that a jarred pickle from 1856 tasted fine yeah i guess i'm wrong too uh because yeah it it just went fine somehow and you wouldn't think it would last that long but yeah no i wouldn't (laughs) (laughs) i would never be the guy that tried that pickle because they were also they were digging up preserved guns and beaver hats like the fur was still fine and everything wow. and old kitchen utensils and things and it all worked it was all preserved uh, it's just like a time capsule of that era and and some of it was a time capsule of what they ate it's great yeah <laughs> wow you know how come nobody wears beaver's hats now yeah well, I'll put set that, that up on. yeah anyway that's it if yeah. you're looking to get me a gift well, you you famously played Benjamin Franklin, yeah. on, on the stage of The Office. Yes, so I, <laughs> right. So you would have an interest in beaver hats. I, I have a that great interest sense. in beaver yeah, hats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd like a beaver hat, please. Thank you. <laughs> and then uh, there's also another story here. This is about uh, slightly earlier than that wreck. This was a shipwreck in the Baltic Sea, and uh, a team from the University of Reims in France dug it up and found 168 champagne bottles. Oh my goodness. And they, I guess the bottles just kind of did fine down there in the in the wreckage down in the Baltic Sea. Huh. And so they drank some of it. Oh. Uh, and they said that it was, they were describing it a few ways. One descriptor was fabulous. And then they said it was a lot sweeter than modern vintages of champagne. Hmm. And the scientists also said it had flavors of leather and tobacco that stayed on his palate for two or three hours. Ugh. So it doesn't actually sound good to me. That doesn't it's sound pr- good at all. Pr- it was probably fucked up. But Sweet he seemed to think leather. it was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. When I'm toasting champagne, <laughs> hoping for leather, I want, I want the woodiest flavors I can get. You Why know? would it taste like leather? That doesn't make any sense to me. 
Yeah. Because uh, it's probably the the sinking was in 1845 and champagne's usually at least a little bit old, uh, you know, when, when yes. it's being shipped around. So this is very, very, very old champagne. Very old champagne. <laughs> but that makes me wonder if we're making it wrong today, you know? What do you know what I mean? Like it's it's meant <laughs> to taste like sweet leather and tobacco. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't know. We've uh, gone away from what made it great. <laughs> From the proper, <laughs> somewhere along the line, it lost the magic, the magic of leather. Because obviously, the older a bottle of wine is, right, the more expensive, generally, right. But is I there a so. point at which you've crossed the line and nobody wants this anymore? You know, yeah. it's not going to be any good. I don't know. We'll link about it in the footnotes. I'm I'm pretty sure there is a turning point where it just is too old and too weird. Yeah. Uh, especially if it hasn't been like kept in a cellar. It's just been in a weird shipwreck. You right. know, it's probably it's probably oh, not yeah. what it's designed to do. Those uh, are not as an optimal aging storage process. conditions. Yeah. I see. All right. I, I wish I wish those were though. Like rich guys would be like, Do you want to go down into my shipwreck <laughs> to see my <laughs> My there's the wine bottles. cellar, of course. I have a wine cellar, but then there's the shipwreck for the really expensive bottles. <laughs> and then uh, another substance here, uh, and this is very, very old. There was a, an archaeological dig in 2008, and they were digging in a tomb in remote northwestern China, hmm. and they found 789 grams of marijuana, uh, which is uh, 225 eighths, if those of you are into uh, measuring this stuff. Oh. Uh, so they found like a lot. Like a whole lot of marijuana. Huh. From uh, when? And they think that based on when the tomb was dug and when it was set up, the, the weed is approximately 2,700 years old. Oh, wow. I don't know if we anyone tried to- get that to, to Matt Besser. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get that, because that might be the difference. It's... You got to match up the pipe with, <laughs> the ancient pipe with the ancient weed. It's probably the greatest connection to your show because I heard that ancient pipe and I was like, "Come on, uh, this is the, the, like these two are like ships in the night." You yes. know, we gotta we gotta get them together. Ancient weed. <laughs> wow, yeah. I didn't know that marijuana has been around for twenty seven hundred years. Oh they, yeah, they acted like really they invented the it back it. in the sixties. Yeah, <laughs> all those baby boomers. I don't know if anyone tried it, but they claim uh-huh. that the soil it was buried in kept it fresh. And they also, the scientists say that the weed, they analyzed it, and mm. they found that it was cultivated with very high THC. Oh. So it seems like not only has weed been around that long, but like intentional cultivation of potent weed has been around for thousands of years. <laughs> so so we can just stop thinking about Woodstock completely. You know, who needs it? Yes. And by the way, <laughs> there's also an argument like to baby boomers now looking down on today's pot smokers will say, well, this is not the weed we used to smoke. This is much stronger, more oh, intense yeah. <laughs> drug that right. we used to Well, baloney. <laughs> Now, why bury that in your tomb? I guess, what, uh, did, the, did the Chinese have that belief as the Egyptians did, that at some point you're going to wake up in your tomb and you're going you're gonna to need to get uh, high or whatnot? I don't know. Yeah, I know uh, the, the article said that the tomb was near the town of Turpan, and it was settled by sort of migrants from, from what's now Russia. Like, they oh. were described as pale-skinned and blue-eyed people. Huh. And so it's probably something to do with that culture. But yeah. I, I'm not a I'm not an expert in in uh, weedists of the uh, of the ancient times. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody yeah. is. But it does like he's buried with a lot, like two hundred twenty five eighths. Yeah, is quite a bit. Like... I mean, not enough for eternity, I guess, <laughs> but a lot. But trying to be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's actually another substance here that that is very old and and technically edible. It's five thousand year old butter, 
Uh, and this can be found in in ancient Ireland and Scotland and Scandinavia because before oh. refrigeration, before mm. we had the uh, appliances in our home, mm. uh, they would bury this stuff in peat bogs to oh. keep it fresh. And I guess they would just occasionally lose track of some butter, and now we find it. Because <laughs> uh, you have a bo- you have a bog, you forget where you put it. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, they say that about squirrels, right? That squirrels only remember where they where they buried about 10% of the nuts that they bury. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's also true of the Irish. <laughs> the Irish will only remember where they buried about 10% of their butter. It's just something in their brains. I'm Irish. You're Irish. You're allowed to. Yeah, yeah. Rip on the... Aha! Uh-huh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. You don't have a refrigerator. You've got more yeah. butter than you can eat right now. Right. And you're going to bury it in a peat bog. Yeah. Weird. When I read about this stuff, I think in general that we're very rich, just all of us as people. I you guess know? so. Because we uh, we had a an author on Charles C. Mann a while back who he he dug into the idea that basically everybody from the time of central heating on is just much comfier and better off than everybody before. Like, oh. like even even you know French kings or whoever in the 1700s were cold all the time and very yeah. uncomfortable and didn't like You had it. to huddle around the fire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so so we're we're real well off being able to refrigerate anything. Yes. These people were like the best uh, substitute I have is a bog. And, <laughs> and it's not going to work good and I'm going to lose stuff, and, you know. But they couldn't even get access to like a block of ice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That sucks. <laughs> we're winning. It's it's worth it that we we've destroyed the environment to have these you know decades oh, yeah. of heat and air. Yeah. That's the best part. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd give anything. I'd give everything for, for this lifetime of central air. <laughs> I did. I did forget about that element as I was describing it. Uh, yeah, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's a reasonable sacrifice. That's true. <laughs> and this butter, uh, it uh, so regular butter mm. in your refrigerator spoils within nine months oh. so even then the tech we have you know it does that mm. uh you, you can just freeze it if you want it longer but a regular mm. refrigerator that's how long it goes but farmers in tullamore in ireland uh they found over 100 pounds of 5,000 year old butter and then people tried it oh uh, god where, yeah. who are these where do they find these people <laughs> I, yeah, i'll try it i'll do it i'm I'll put pretty... it on my bread <laughs> how is it five thousand years i'll try it <laughs> hand it over here that's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to the guy that tried the 5,000-year-old butter? So they were also fine. Oh, my and I'm, God. I'm like a pretty picky eater. I Me can't too. imagine being these people. But they did it, and they compared the taste to a couple things. One was dried-out Cheshire cheese, which is the, the nicest of these. Uh, the other was athlete's foot, uh, which, I don't know. I guess they tried that, too. They were like, ah, give me your foot. You know. You got athlete's foot? I'll try it. Put it on my bread. <laughs> Whatever it is, it has to be bread. Yeah, it is. I'll try it. The butter's not bad. It's pretty good. It tastes like athlete's foot. You know, it might not have been an insult. It might have been a, a positive review. And then, and the one other taste uh, comparison was, and this is extra weird. They said it was similar to old spermaceti, and spermaceti is the stuff that like whalers, like Moby Dick people, would would mm. get out of a whale's head to make wax out, out of, of a whale's head. Yeah. So oh. I that one, I really, really don't know how they. Knew what it tasted like. Because uh, that's a that very... That came out of a whale's head? I'll try it. <laughs> Just spread it on my toast. There's uh, another thing here. This is another audio one. This is um good old American thing. Uh, specifically, the Confederate rebel yell. 
which is a thing that in histories of the Civil War, often they'll say like the Confederate troops when they were in battle, they had this battle cry that was supposed to be intimidating to the Union. <sighs> and it was descri- it's been described as a sort of fox hunt yip mixed with a sort of banshee squall. Hmm. Uh, but even I remember even reading in, in history classes and in my history major about it, and they would just say, we kind of know what it sounds like. We're not really sure. It's, hmm. it's just this thing. And then now there's audio of it. There were documentarians in the 1930s who got a bunch of like very old Confederate veterans together. Oh, wow. And they did it. And so now that's a thing people can hear. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that this is, but this is a recording specifically of senior citizens. Right. Who so they're also fought very in the old. Civil War. Yeah. Right, doing their best <laughs> to replicate the ribble yell of their youth. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> and we'll also we'll have the the whole video clip foot nuded. It's from the Smithsonian and you can so you can see them in black and white doing it. But first you will hear a group doing it and then just one guy. Uh, so let's uh, let's hear the rebel yell. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the pleasure of announcing to you that we are going to make an effort to repeat the old rebel yell. <laughs> one so polite. Two, yes. Three. <laughs> 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 I'll give you the individual there, Captain James Dinkin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a big round of applause. Yeah. That is not an intimidating That's, yell. That was what I thought, too. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's, it's not, just kind of kooky. It's kooky. Yeah. It's not um it's not a very manly sound. <laughs> it reminds right. me, it brings to mind. Remember when the old lady on the Sylvester and Tweety Bird cartoons <laughs> would hike up her, her various yes. trusses and run? It's like a kind of a sound that that would be accompanied by. <laughs> like a mouse. It seems like a mouse has run across the floor. Oh, and, yeah. And a very proper old Southern lady is terrified of it. So if that's what you're going for, Confederate Army, job well done. Otherwise, no, I'm not scared by that. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. It's very like like when Terry Jones is playing a lady in Monty yes, Python. That's what it is. <laughs> and is upset. Like yes. uh, We're going to war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was what they did going into battle. And you can just hear it, even though uh, the Civil War was, you know, 150 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's weird. It's pretty weird. So there's that. <laughs> if you're the Union Army, yeah. Just like, well, they've all lost their minds. They all they sound crazy, right? Yeah. So that's a little that can be intimidating. These are not reasonable people for for uh, more reasons now. Yeah, uh, 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 uh. yeah, right. And we also have uh, another audio clip of even older like Virginians. Uh, this is a thing that you can also kind of still hear today, apparently. Although there are fewer and fewer people who have it, but this is an accent that they have in a couple islands off of Virginia, Smith Island and Tangier Islands. Uh, They're in what's called the Tidewater in Virginia, and there's a Tidewater accent uh, that linguists think is very similar to how people talked in, like, colonial times or in in 1700s Britain. So these islands are remote islands that people have been living there continuously since colonial times? Yeah, they're small, and they're they're just little fishing villages, Mm -hmm. and I guess there's not a lot of people coming or going over time, and then also people are just kind of stuck to their accent. 
And so these are modern people talking that we'll hear, but we'll hear two different speakers who have one harder to understand and one mm. easier to understand mm. versions of this Tidewater accent. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's hear that. Guy, I can hire him on your Saturday night. Right. Big drove his mom out. Guy, I had to get out. His mom's been calling and cussing at me all day. She was about to counter. She said, it's a lie, Jack. I said, who's that, Mom? <laughs> First permanent settlement, white settlement on the island, was in uh, 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 1686. There have been people living here ever since. And there are about all of us that were born here on this island. We can say that our parents were born here, and our grandparents, and our great-grandparents, <laughs> our great-great-grandparents. Got it. And on down. <laughs> no, I'm not saying stop the clock. I'm saying, gentlemen, yeah. we understand. You go back a long way. <laughs> it's like Abe Simpson's story about an onion on his belt. Like it just keeps going. Like great, great, great grandparents and great, 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 great grandparents. We um, know how that works. Just keep adding a great. We got it. Here we go. But those are those are people living in Virginia today. Today, yeah. people today talking like that—that's yeah, really yeah. weird. I love that the that the first one was a joke. That guy got a laugh from whatever it was he said. I have no idea what he said. Yeah, we also we've we've heard a lot of old crowds. That wasn't a crowd. That was just his friends. Uh -huh. But like we've heard a lot of reactions to humor from yeah. ancient times. Uh -huh. uh, they're nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. I what 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 was it that was funny about what that guy said? I can't even imagine. So that's really that, weird because that first guy, I have a hard time making out exactly what yeah, he's saying. I don't have any. Idea uh, the second saying. guy is clear, but mm -hmm. yeah. Wow, how weird! So linguists think that that is enough. That is how colonial people used to speak. Yeah, because also there's there's some study, and and we'll link about the exact details of it. But mm -hmm. there's some study of whether hundreds of years ago British people spoke almost kind of like Americans do now, and oh, with a I've little heard less that. of the received pronunciation, fancy British accent they have now. I've heard that that in yeah. Shakespeare's time, English in England would have been spoken more like it, it is now spoken in the South. Yeah. That's yeah. really strange. You can go to those islands, you can visit these people. Yeah. And so also there's a thing where climate change is happening and mm. these islands are very low. Like they're, they're, lots of parts of them are just a couple of feet above sea level. Oh. And so there's some worry that this very specific, interesting place will simply flood. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and so we have to kind of see uh, what happens with that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. But I've been running my refrigerator all day and I feel great. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Why don't you turn your dream into a reality with Squarespace? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to do? I think so. Because here's the thing. The internet is a wild and wonderful place. It's sort of a modern cabinet of, of very curious things. And some of them are websites that people use to launch their passion project, right? To showcase their work, to sell products and services, or just to be out there on the internet. You can be one of those people by building a Squarespace website. They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers that you can customize any way you want. They have a powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online. They have analytics that help you grow your site in real time. Also, everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box when you build a website with Squarespace. So your website will look normal and, in fact, good on phones and tablets. 
Squarespace also makes buying domains simple, so your website will have the right name for it. You know, I, I, I think these features should win you over, right? Isn't that great? It is. Head to squarespace.com cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com cracked. Offer code cracked. Well, and with, uh, with other old American stuff, uh, there is the town of Livermore, California. It's in the Bay Area, and they have what's called the Centennial Light uh, because it's a light bulb that has been basically always on since 1901, uh, which shouldn't be possible what? with <laughs> technology <laughs> because I'm replacing them all the time. Am I right? Yeah, these jerks at GE or whatever. This light bulb has been on continuously. Like, does it get turned off? It's been interrupted once in a while, uh-huh. uh, but they say it's been on constantly since 1976. And also, right before that, they switched firehouses. It's in a firehouse in Livermore. And when they switched, they had like a police escort protect the light bulb uh, to go from house to house. Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> Great yeah. use of resources. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. That's so there's two possible explanations, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Well, what, well, no, there's a third. One is magic. The other <laughs> the other is that this is a hoax <laughs> and uh, that sure. they replace this light bulb from time to time. Uh, <laughs> it is the only reason I've heard of Livermore. So this could uh-huh, be. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's probably the likeliest one. But then the other one is that there is this theory. There's an old movie with Alec Guinness. It's really great where he has invented a fabric that does not need to be washed and it will never go threadbare. Yeah. It's like this, this strong fabric. And he is pursued by dry cleaning interests and other suited because they're like, well, this is the only suit you'll ever need. So other makers of clothes are coming after him to get their hands on this. And at some point there's a speech in there that goes, you think it's not possible to make a light bulb that lasts forever? Of course it is, but you don't do it because then you only get to sell one light bulb. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Now, I don't know, but that's interesting that maybe, maybe it is possible to make a forever light bulb and somebody did it. Yeah. And this this is it. <laughs> and it's ended up in this firehouse. It seems like if they made it, it's probably some kind of lucky accident or something, right? I feel like light bulbs are pretty mass manufactured, and so they didn't turn out like a whole batch that worked forever. Right. It's just this one. It's one. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. I'm or pretty sure hoax. we're being messed with. Yeah. I think it's got to be a hoax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The claim is it's been turned on for over 300,000 hours, and I I guess the best modern bulbs go out after about 25,000, and light bulbs of the turn of the century way before that. Yeah. They're just done. Huh. So 300,000 hours of light uh, from this one bulb in Livermore. (laughs) So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And I I feel like it's a hoax, but I'm dying to go up and see it. I want to get my eyes on it, and I want to buy a keychain, and- (laughs) I want to stay in a bed and breakfast up there and patronize local businesses. <laughs> right, I'm just right. dying to do that. I'll certainly be investing in the town. Certainly, uh, yes, I'll... absolutely. <laughs> Got to own property within walking distance of the world's longest continuous running light bulb. It's working. Yeah, they did This it. scam is working. <laughs> and then there's also, this is an artifact from New York City. And this is uh, something that they found while they were uh, doing renovations on New York City Hall. So this is under City Hall, uh, mm-hmm. uh, where you all know it. They uh, found a batch of stuff, but one thing in there was a mysterious item carved out of bone. And it's sort of a tube-shaped item. Mm. Uh, and they were like, maybe there's a spice grinder. We don't know what it is. And it turned out to be a douche. 
Oh, uh, for ladies. From when? When do they think it originated from? So they think it was in a batch with a bunch of other things, and so they think all the things were from one party, <laughs> and the party would have been <laughs> sometime. Party. Uh, yeah, mm. and the, it would have been sometime during the original construction. So between 1803 and 1815. Oh, uh, so there's like a 200 year old uh, douche. 200 uh, year old douche. Yeah, you can just find it. You know, uh, you just get to dig in, and there you go. <laughs> Wow. So during the construction of City Hall, somebody threw a party in the like, you know, half built City Hall. Yeah. And a party that specifically involved a douche that got left behind. So so it in other words, it came out of the pocketbook or whatever that it was in. Yeah. Yeah. And got left behind somehow. That's true. There's a lot of social events to reconstruct putting that together. Yeah, like like why the party, why bringing it, why leaving it. Yes. And would you have had to be a wealthy person to own a whale? Oh, no, it's not whale, but a bone. Just bone. Yeah, it's made of bone. It's yeah. made of bone. The bone of what? We don't know. But to, to own a douche carved out of bone in 1805 or whatever. Yeah. I'll bet you'd have to have some, some money. But then why are you partying in the half-built city hall? <laughs> What's they, going on? Because the other stuff they found with it were old bottles for alcohol. They found nice pottery. They found old pipes. And then they found four different kinds of animal bones, including turtles. And I guess turtles were a delicacy oh. in the early 1800s. And so, and the archaeologists say it's all in exactly the same layer. So it was probably one event or one thing. Uh, so that's why so I think it was weird. a party. Yeah. So these are like wealthy people partying in a, a construction yeah. site. Just treating it like Vegas. Like yeah. just going for it. Uh, and by the way, just leaving all this shit behind. <laughs> yeah. That's the rudest part. Nobody yeah. brought along a trash bag. To... <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> Assholes. <laughs> Because that also, that must mean the construction workers, they, they came in to work on Monday. They saw this stuff and they were like, I'm not know. picking it up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> build over it. Oh, who cares? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I've never been at a party where anybody whipped out a douche. Me neither. I, yeah. Never yeah. happened to me. So times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've also never been at a party in an active construction site so a lot of this i can't relate to I've never eaten a turtle yeah i've had a turtle they're nice oh yeah i had a turtle yeah. too my turtle it sounds like a joke my turtle ran away he <laughs> <laughs> really did that's that's the origins of a comedian right there <laughs> well so this is, a, this is an interesting thing with uh with a home uh this is a bbc article we're drawing on Everybody knows Pompeii, the Roman ruins. Obviously, there's a bunch of preserved things from Pompeii because a volcanic eruption covered it and saved it. Mm. But there's one house there that the people studying it have called the House of the Tragic Poet, which is a very uh, fancy nickname. (laughs) Um, I think I'm going to call my house that from now on. You know how people (laughs) name their houses. Welcome to the House of the Tragic Poet. And uh, they mainly call it that because it's just covered in murals of greek mythology and like kind of the whole history of it and so they've actually drawn on it for a lot of knowing how that worked culturally for them uh but the interesting thing yes. is out front they had a mosaic on the the ground right out front of the door that was a beware of dog mat uh-huh. uh, <laughs> it uh it's like a bunch of tile that somebody laid in and did wow. art of, but it's a big very good picture of a dog and then it says cave canum which is apparently latin for beware, for of, beware the dog. of the dog yeah 
So, so you can go see a Roman beware of the dog mad in Pompeii. You can just knock it out. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, of all the wealthy people in the big mansions that you know that you hear, I've never heard of like a permanent tile mosaic beware of dog sign. Yeah. No eccentric <laughs> modern rich person has thought to do that. Right. There's still like ten dollars yeah, all the time. It's still the plastic sign. <laughs> From, from the yeah. drugstore. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, from the hardware store, I guess. Wow, <laughs> the black and orange sign. There's no there's no upmarket version of that. Yeah, except this, uh, this ancient thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a good idea. So, yeah, you got to replace that dog. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. A, obviously, it's lasted this long. It was built to last longer than a dog is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> So when you call your mosaic guy, he's like, just right away, like, oh, no, really? Uh, yeah. He passed? Uh, I'll be over. Take up the tiles. <laughs> There's nothing to beware of anymore. Mm. I didn't think I could be a more tragic poet. Oh. I like to think of how much that dog barked at the lava. <laughs> That's true. It might be the most commemorated ancient dog. Mm. You know, because it's probably if it's in the ruins, they probably couldn't tell or whatever. You know, oh, but it's yeah. like a, the most documented early dog, probably. Oh like yeah, somebody's specific dog. What does he look like? And then what kind of a dog are we dealing with here? What kind of a uh, dog did you have? <laughs> what kind of dog could it be? How many different varieties of dog were there? It looks like kind of a large wolfy kind of dog. Yeah, all black. You know. Uh huh. Yeah, that might have been it at that time. I think that was just yeah. It, yeah. it was like dog. That's yeah, the breed of dog <laughs> is dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's slightly less aggressive than a wolf. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, where did you get your dog? The wolf. I, I, we went to the wolf. Yeah. <laughs> so you rescued? We rescued him from the other wolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they seem like they might eat him. <laughs> and then yeah. guys with swords rescued us from the wolf situation. Uh-huh. It's really terrifying. And now we have dog. <laughs> Beware of him. Yeah. That might have been it. You know, he might have, yeah, he himself might have been attacked by that dog again and again. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> right, like in early, early dog ownership times, beware of dog was probably just a given. Yeah, it was Nobody just a message a nice to everybody. Dog. Yeah, yeah. It's a terrible idea to have this thing in the house. It's practically a wolf. It encircles us and pounces. There's also a thing here, uh, and this is something that turned up on eBay, hmm. but somehow eBay had a listing all of a sudden for a an old Nazi encryption device <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> uh, from World War II, obviously. Uh. But there's a thing where, I didn't know this until I read about it, the, the Nazis had the Enigma code machine was the famous one that, uh, like in, um, that they break in, what's that movie? The Imitation Game. Oh, okay. That's, that's the most well-known Nazi code machine that mm. had to be broken. There was another one called the Lorenz machine uh, mm. that the Nazis built next, and it wasn't broken until 1942. I much prefer the name, the Enigma machine. Yeah, it's way cooler. Way cooler. Yeah. yeah. Lorenz, that's just a guy or something. Some dude. Who needs it? Yeah. Was it a step up from Enigma or, you know what I mean? It seems like it was, yeah. Uh-huh, it came later. It was uh, a tricky thing where Enigma, I guess they had a couple of the machines in Britain, so they mm. could use those to reverse engineer it and uh-huh. try to figure it out. Uh, Lorenz, they had to do it without any machines. Ooh. They just had to figure it out, and they did, which is amazing. Wow. That is um, and so also since the British didn't have any, it's a really hard to find artifact for museums. They mm. really want to find them. 
And so the British National Museum of Computing, which I had never heard of till right now, hmm. but they uh, they were trying to get a full Lorenz machine. And then they saw on eBay in 2016, somebody did a listing for a telegram machine is hmm. what they thought it was. Uh -huh. And so for nine and a half British pounds, you could buy it. And so the people from the museum like ran down and bought it because uh, wow. it was this one uh, teleprinter part of the machine that they just couldn't find anywhere. And then somebody on eBay was just like, I don't know, I think it's some kind of old gizmo. Here you go. That's so bizarre. Yeah. Wow. And he wasn't able to explain why he had this strange thing. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they pressed him on it. It's also mm -hmm. weird because I guess yeah, no the, questions asked on the Nazi <laughs> yeah. code machine. Because it also, I guess this teleprinter device had decorative swastikas on it. <laughs> uh, and it also, one of the keys was to do that like SS symbol where it's two lightning bolts. So it's definitely Nazi wow, stuff. Wow, yeah. Like you don't just find Nazi it stuff. and think like, what is this, HP? You know, like, you are just yeah, like. Yeah, gosh, I don't know. What, what's the ethical thing to do if you find some actual real Nazi stuff in your attic? Like, I don't know if you just put it yeah. on because you could sell it to. A Nazi enthusiast, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think the first thing you do is contact the British Museum of Computing, see if they want it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So now they have a Lorenz machine. Yeah. So now they have a finished machine you can go see. But would've it was partly nice, because uh, they would have been nice to have that in 1942. It <laughs> saved them a lot of work and maybe some <laughs> tragedies. <laughs> but all right, better late than never. <laughs> yeah, and it just turned up on eBay. I just find it fun that eBay could be the platform for that is really <laughs> strange <Yeah>. to me. <laughs> They've been looking for this forever. And it's, yeah. just, it's just there on eBay. For nine bucks? Yeah, uh, with exchange rate like 12 bucks or something. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a reasonable. Still doable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because also like a good eBay listing, I feel like it has a lot of pictures, you know, and like really close up of the, the thing. So like you would think the pictures would have had some swastikas or something. Yes. It's kind of distracting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's a telegram machine. It doesn't mention that it's a Nazi artifact. Yeah. Yeah. It's a telegram machine. I don't know what those symbols are. Let's not speculate. We've got a few more things here, and mm. uh, uh, they are very old. One of them is, it just should not be possible, but it is. It's a, a dam in southern India that was supposed to be temporary, but it's lasted 2,000 years, mm. uh, damming a river. And this is, uh, it was built by the Chola dynasty, which was a kingdom in southern India in the 100s. And they dammed the river just to help them do some irrigation. They said, okay, this is just kind of a makeshift one and we'll, we'll do a good one in, in uh. a few years. <laughs> like, this is just for now. Uh-huh. And we'll do it, and uh, we'll build like a permanent dam later. Uh, a lot of the projects at my house are basically done that way too. Like, well, this will do for now. I think this will basically keep the towel rack up, and then and then you never just never get around to the, the real thing. Yeah. So they, why did they never get around to building the permanent dam? I guess uh, it, from from what I read about it, they just couldn't fund it, and they just kept not getting around to oh, it. Man. It's sort of sort of how you know public works will crumble and so on. But then they just lucked into, they happened to build it in a way that was extremely long lasting. The stone masonry, it was like a set of stone blocks just kind of stuck together, but the way it was done worked really well. Huh. And it lasted so long, it ended up getting studied by the British when they colonized India, you know, 1500 years later. And they said, we should study this and try to figure out some dam techniques from it. And then the British like heightened it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and so now it's still a dam that's holding back a river and diverting it in uh, this place in uh, in southern India. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. Yeah. 
I don't think I understand the idea of temporarily damming a river. <laughs> that seems <laughs> that's really, a good point. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at some point this is going to crumble. Right. Yeah. Until uh, then, I'll just keep living under it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up just fine, but yeah, in the future. Start with the idea of the permanent dam, I would say. That would be my advice. <laughs> they needed you 2,000 years ago, working in the court there. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, well. They stumbled onto the perfect dam. Yeah, it must just be luck. Or else, I, sometimes I wonder if, like, because they had such weak tools <laughs> and such little resources and so on, they just ended up building things to last. Because, yeah. like, it was the only way they knew how to do it. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't right. know. Still shouldn't work. Well, but. maybe they just gave they gave it to the B team, and this guy was like, you know, a, a gifted dam builder who had never been given his shot before. You know, <laughs> like, this yeah, one doesn't yeah. matter. Give it to that guy, and he's like, finally, <laughs> I get to use some of my ideas. <laughs> he's just like listening to the Eight Mile soundtrack, getting ready, like getting pumped. <laughs> like finally, finally, this is it. <laughs> They're throwing me the ball. <laughs> well, and then uh, and then we have a few a few stories here of extremely, extremely old food that was just basically meat frozen in ice uh, that people uh, all did the the crazy thing and ate. They just all tried it out. And one of these is uh, in 1920s Siberia, they were uh, digging through the permafrost and so on and found some mammoth meat. Uh, Because, you know, woolly mammoths, uh, the very, very (laughs) Ice Age era animals. The people who found it said, I I would never eat this, but we'll feed it to our, our sled dogs. Okay. They can take it. Well, I think that's, that, see, yeah, that's a reasonable idea. With the peat bog butter and what, I would, first yeah. I'd try it with on a dog. Yeah, That's yeah. a good idea. They can take it. Yes. Yeah. The dog will be delighted to <laughs> eat anything. And then you get to see, you know, in 72 hours, if the dog is still walking around, maybe you can try it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. So what, they just found a woolly mammoth in the permafrost. Yeah, I guess. It and their just, first thought was, let's feed it to the dogs. Because just the, the ice and the temperatures has been so cold for so long that it preserved the meat. And then wow. the dogs lived. It was edible. They were okay. But isn't it a big deal to find a woolly mammoth? Shouldn't you do something other than eat it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't you try to, I don't know, shouldn't it be somewhere in a museum or something? <laughs> when I was talking about eating eating a king heart before... Mm. Uh, there's a, an episode we were working on where there was an old like British scientist named William Buckland. Mm. Uh, he was a paleontologist, but his like side goal was to just eat every kind of meat in the world. Oh, wow. was his goal. Jeez. And a friend <laughs> had... Uh, <laughs> yep. And so then what you think will happen is it happens. Uh, a friend had like a preserved piece of a French king's heart, and he oh was like, God. William, would you like to just look at this? And he was like, whoop, into the mouth. <laughs> uh, which is cannibalism, I believe. Yeah, it sure uh, is. But also, yeah, People will just eat stuff, I guess. They'll just go for it. Wow. Especially in the past. You know, like pre-museum era, there, I feel like there was less of an ethic of let's save stuff. It was just like, I don't know. Could we eat it? Could right. we build a hat out of it? You That's know, like... why they came up with museums. <laughs> yeah. We have to prevent some of the stuff from being eaten. Because <laughs> that's all anybody can think to do with it. Yeah. Just pop it in their mouths. <laughs> that is a really weird goal to try to eat the meat of every creature. Yeah. Yeah. That's dumb. But also with this mammoth stuff, I guess they found more Russian mammoths. And in the 2000s, a scientist tried it. And he said it was edible, but also described it as awful and uh, tasting like it was left too long in a freezer, which is just what it is. It's just what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exact situation. 
why refer to that guy as a scientist? <laughs> like that might be what he does for a living, but that was not science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eating old frozen meat and then telling us that it tasted frozen. I don't see the science. Maybe that's the cover up. Like just a guy got in there and ate it. Yeah. And they were like, well, how do we justify this? <laughs> okay. He, call him a It scientist. was for science. Yeah. Yes, there was a control okay. group that had something that was not woolly mammoth meat. <laughs> <laughs> then I had something that was. And, uh, yeah. and there's, there's also one other. This was uh, in 1979 in Alaska. Another scientist did the wrong thing and <laughs> found some frozen baby bison from, they believe, 36,000 years ago. Oh, my God. So very prehistoric. And uh, he tried it and said it was not only edible, but, quote, acceptable. <laughs> So that guy was like down. He was like, let's do it. Yeah, that sounds a little more scientific. Use of the word acceptable. <laughs> it's more squared it's away. A, it's a little more yeah. clinical. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, they're not going to sell a lot of 36,000-year-old baby bison with just describing it as acceptable. I wouldn't buy it. That's a bad sales pitch. It's a bad sales pitch. That's true. Yeah. I'm glad he didn't say like, it's better than the Impossible Burger or whatever <laughs> would be buzzy. At the, I don't know, meat marketing, but... <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> but that's a really weird, that's a weird thing to find a 36,000-year-old preserved animal Yeah. and think, well, I guess I'll eat it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I don't know. It'd take me a long time to get to that. To get to the yeah. thought of eating it. Just initial excitement and joy. and Yeah. It's crazy to find that. Yes, it's nuts. <laughs> it's really cool. I guess, you, I guess you don't know what to do with it, but for sure, no, I would never eat it. I feel like the other thing you could do is a Jurassic Park scenario where mm, you take sure. its DNA and, and bring them back. Yes. But, you know. Yeah, wait a minute. If we're finding all these woolly mammoths, nobody has cloned one? Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. Huh. So they're just not bothering or something. Uh, there's no good reason for it. It's a lot uh, but... cheaper to just eat it. Yeah. We're not in danger of cloning dinosaurs. If we found a dinosaur, somebody would just oh. eat it. Right, we just devour we it. We just eat it. Yeah. <laughs> that is a, a hole in the Jurassic World franchise, that there's not some restaurant on the premises where you just eat the eat the beasts, you know? Yeah. In all Come these on. years of Jurassic Park movies, they've never had a, a Velociraptor burger. I'm pretty sure they have not, huh. and I I can't believe it. Because like I I grew up eating Dino Nuggets, which were just chicken shaped like a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah of course. You know, like there's a real demand. Uh, Absolutely. Let's get in on it. Oh my god! Now I'm getting hungry for Stegosaurus. <laughs> Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to Andy Daly for doing a, a really deep dive with me into some really, really old stuff. I think we both especially realized as the episode went on that we are definitely not the kind of people who would be eating these old meats and pickles and, and so on. I'm, I'm even a little picky about modern pickles. Topping, fine. Straight up, pretty weird to me. But you, you eat different, so that's fine. Anyway, point being, Andy was absolutely wonderful, and I'm so glad he did the show. And in our food notes, you will find a slew of cracked articles featuring those incredible things we talked about today. You can hear those full comedy sketches from 1899 and 1904. Then there's also a BBC report featuring the ancient Roman beware of dog mosaic. And I hope you'll give that a look because the dog art is really cool. It's a legitimately neat mosaic of a dog. It looks great. And of course, you will find the Great American Cabinet of Curiosities out now on Stitcher Premium with more episodes coming. And as Andy said, there's amazing guests on it like Matt Besser and Moon Zappa and many, many more people. 
And uh, just astounding, too, that Sean Conroy's family uh, has that has that legacy and tradition and, and crazy, crazy story. So great. And beyond all that, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. This episode was engineered by Devin Bryant and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, please let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A trove of bizarre antiquities in its own way. You know, there's always old tweets out there, old weird stuff. In fact, I'm going to link you to one this week. Uh, it is a tweet where Newt Gingrich says the following, quote, McDonald's grilled chicken McRap at 250 calories is both a dollar and pound bargain. And quote, and tweet, uh, Newt Gingrich just posted that in 2013. I don't, I don't even think McDonald's paid him to do it. Uh, and it's just out there uh, because Twitter is weird. You can just see stuff like uh, Donald Trump Jr. saying he's a boob guy. You know, it's just a thing. I guess I'll link that one too. I don't want to build a whole gallery for you, but you get it. My own Twitter account is at Alex Schmitty. My Instagram is at Alex Schmitzstagram. And I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. That's got my show dates, my fun email newsletter of free internet stuff tips, and more. And I'm here to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.